the idea is that if public data is public, it should be public. It's a, you need to digest that a bit. So even if you want to go to a public data source that has limitations, it's not really public. It has limitations. Okay? Think about it. Data is almost everything today. Every company, organization, researcher, academic institution, everyone are getting data-based decisions. Why on earth would someone agree to have public data blocked? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science podcast, the only self-development podcast for data scientists. You're going to learn from and be inspired by the people, ideas, and conversations that will encourage creativity and innovation in yourself so that you can do the same for others. I also host Open Office Hours. You can register to attend by going to bitly.com forward slash a-D-S-O-H. I look forward to seeing you all there. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Our guest today is a tech-savvy entrepreneur and technologist who believes that data should be like water, always transparent and available to all. He's an official member of the Forbes Technology Council and a prolific writer on all things related to data and emerging technologies. He's passionately focused on online data, multiple uses of data to address business challenges, as well as ethical data collection and ad verification. He's the CEO of Bright Data, a leading publicly available web data platform that enables organizations of all sizes to access data on the internet with complete transparency. Since becoming the CEO, he's been continually working on expanding the company's market base, maintaining the openness, transparency, and integrity of the online ecosystem. Today, he's here to share some revealing details on how you can make the most of publicly available data on the web for your projects, companies, and businesses. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, a man who is leading the mission to shine a bright light on the internet or Lecturer, or thank you very much for joining us today, man. Super excited to have you here. Wow, I'm I'm super excited. Also, thanks for the introduction, and you actually nailed my name exactly like you should say it, or Lynchner. And it's not it's not easy at the first time. Hey, <laughs> man. Yeah, job. I've been I've been practicing. I've been practicing. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, your first name or means is it bright or is it light? That, that light. Means, it means, it light. means light in Hebrew. Ah. Which, yeah, it's it's not that bad if we're talking about bright data. It makes all sense, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So some of the things that I, you know, I was doing some research on you and, and I came across this article and I think that, you know, if we start off with that, I think my audience will uh, really be able to relate to this because a lot of us can relate to going through struggles on our journey, but not necessarily having it reflected on like, you know, our LinkedIn profile, right? Just everything looks like a clean linear line. We just got from point A to point B just straightforwardly, right? That would be um, boring. Yeah, that, that would be very, very boring. But you've had an interesting journey on your path to becoming CEO at uh, Bright Data. So talk to us about some of the waves you had to surf on the ride to here. Nice. <laughs> I like that analogy. So a surfer, that's what I like to do when I'm not surfing the web. So um, sure, I started by building my own small companies and small products. I'm, I'm a product guy. That's essentially what I like to do. That's what I always want to do more, but I don't have enough time. And this is how I started building my own products. It sometimes was a physical product for myself because I just wanted something that didn't exist. And sometimes it was a digital product, like a website that, again, for myself, because I wanted to have something that didn't exist. This is how I kind of started my career. So basically started building stuff. Some of them succeeded, some of them failed, but it was always the same thing. It was a passion to create something that I really needed for myself. I never actually checked if anyone else needs that. <laughs> I just went and built it. And sometimes a ton of other people also used it, which was a success. For example, uh, the first website I established locally here in Israel for finding partners for anything you need. So I looked at a time partner for doing sports together in the evening. And I just, none of my friends wanted to. So I 
built a website, and soon enough, it was the largest website in Israel for finding business partners. And that was a paid section, so who would have thought? But it just the idea is just to start and to push forward. And this is also how eventually I became, uh, I, I got to do what I'm doing today, and I really enjoy what I'm, what I'm doing today for over three years, being the CEO of Bright Data. Yeah. Um, I started here also as a product manager, doing what I like to do the most, almost six years ago. And it went well. And uh, over three years ago, I became the CEO. Yeah, I, I like that that entrepreneurial type of spirit where it's like, okay, you need something that's useful to you. So you go build it and you make it useful for yourself. And then all of a sudden, you know, people everywhere seem to want this product. I think that's one of the... Or not. Or maybe sometimes you're the only person in the globe that, that needs that. Yeah. But that's also fun. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, let's, let's get into some of this because I've, I remember hearing about uh, a pretty cool product you've developed. But before we get into that, you know, we're talking a little bit about waves. I alluded to you being a, a surfer. So I'm wondering, man, like, you know, what's the importance that surfing has had in your life? And what has surfing taught you about being a successful entrepreneur and executive? Oh, interesting. Uh, actually, a lot. I mean, I'm not sure if everyone got a hobby. I'm not sure if it always correlates with the personality and like the daily job of what you're doing. I think that, at least for me, it really do correlate and it's very, very similar. I might be a bit philosophical here, Ray, but uh, this is how I see it. So it's very similar. So being a CEO of any company, it's a very lonely position to be in. You just have one at a company. So you need to usually... You're the only one who's doing that specific thing of being responsible for everything that is happening in the company, which is pretty similar to the wave surfing sport, which I've been practicing for over 20 years. You're alone out there. Maybe you have a few friends, fellows out there in the lineup catching waves together, but it's an individual sport. And unlike other individual sports, like swimming in a pool or running on, on a running track, this is one of the only individual sports that you're doing on constantly shifting waters, literally waters, but that's also true for any business, right? So the, the loneliness on one side and the, knowing that everything is unexpected from the other side, pretty much true for every CEO and every executive on, on, on its own level. And that's something that is very similar to surfing, I think. Also the hype and that feeling that there's a, a quote, a saying of only a surfer knows the feeling, which I vouch for. That's true. I think that, that that's also worked, you know, to me as a CEO when I succeed doing, doing something. So I find it actually very similar. And also, you know, the ocean for me is my therapy. So it's also a balancing act that I can do almost once, twice a week, which is extremely important. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Ora is joining us here from, from Israel and me being educated in American public school systems, I have zero sense of geography whatsoever. <laughs> so I was not aware that uh, Israel actually has beaches and oceans uh, and, or the sea, at least, that you can go surfing on. Yeah. Yeah. So do we have a, you know, it's a small country, but all of the Western border is sea, not ocean. It's a Mediterranean sea which I have to say is underestimated for its surfing uh, conditions and scene. So there's a massive surfing scene here in Israel and not bad waves. They're, they're not as quality as in other places, but it just means that you need to practice harder and, harder. and when you get to a good place with amazing waves, usually you're doing a good job because you, you, know, you had to practice so hard in these uh, not that great waves. So you talked about being like a product guy at, at heart. So talk to us about how you've developed this interest in, in product. And then after that, I want to get into this, uh, this cool product you kind of developed to uh, combine your interest in surfing and product to like data about your sessions. Oh, okay, cool. So I think that I, I you know, I'll answer it as a product person, but I see it also on other product people that are working with me. So there's this internal feeling and passion that you have an idea and you just have to make it happen right now, right here. You just need to take the first step. Otherwise, you won't sleep at night. That's how it starts. That's how a good product starts, I think. 
sometimes the day after you need to kill the idea. That's also fine. It's even more important. But that's that feeling, that passion that is bubbling inside you, uh, and you just you need to open the computer and start writing something, or else you won't be able to to go to bed at night. This is like real product passion. You have to have that in order to be in this profession. And usually you can't gain that skill later on. Something that you have without even knowing what product is. You can do it as, as a child with, I don't know, you, to me personally, as a child, I had to take everything electronical and break it down into pieces, usually without the ability to rebuild it afterwards, just because I had to understand how it works. So it's a passion that you have to do it right now. What, you, what you've mentioned, it's actually a cool product. I actually patented it in the US. So I surf a lot. We already went over this. And then I had this idea that there's so much data that I produce while surfing in two aspects. One aspect is my own athlete data, we can call it this way, how many kilometers I, I pedal, how many waves I catch, how, what's the speed. And the, the other elements are en environmental elements. So what was the water temperature? What was the, where, where was I? So GPS location and things like that. So I had this passion that I talked about and it took me a while, but I finished it and I actually built a pack of sensors that is being embedded in a specific place in the surfboard that the surfer shouldn't even feel. It's working. It's pretty amazing. I surfed with it a few times and then I put it in the drawer and never touched it again <laughs> because I, you know, I had a passion. I fulfilled my, my passion. It, it went down and I got back to do what I'm, you know, the, the daily job. <laughs> so, yeah. But I had to do it. I had to do it. And it's like, it actually worked and it's very cool. I mean, you got to keep, keep pushing, keep creating, keep doing something different. Right. I mean, you, it's, it's actually a muscle that you need to maintain. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was interviewing uh, James Altucher on my podcast a while back and he has this idea you know, this, this concept of the idea muscle, he says, having ideas is like a muscle, just come up with ideas and, and execute on them. So it's also a, a methodology that you need to practice. You can, this is something you can learn and you should copy from others that did it successfully. You know, once you have an idea, what's next? You know, you don't need to invent everything from scratch. No, you just need to do a few steps in order to make sure if it's a good idea, a crappy idea, or something that you don't really know, and how then you can check. Yeah. And your company, Bright Data, has a lot of this baked into the DNA. We'll get into some of the Bright Data DNA later. I really, really was fascinated by this uh, publicly available document that you guys had on the web that just talks about kind of the ethos of the the company. And we'll, we'll get to some of that a little bit later. You know, you talked about being a, a product guy and, you know, it's kind of a, a hard skill for you to develop later on in life. Uh, this is something that uh, I get asked by a lot of data scientists is how do you develop this elusive skill of product sense, right? You talked a little bit about taking products apart and trying to put them back together. But when it comes to like digital products, which a lot of data scientists will be working on companies that, you know, develop digital products, what does product sense mean to you? And, you know, how can we cultivate that type of sense in ourselves? Yeah, I think that product sense is indeed an elusive term. For me, it's first of all, understanding that most probably that you'll never have it. You will never have it. Not, not because not, it's not that I will have it and you won't have it. You won't have it because it's a methodology that you need to practice. It's not a sixth sense that you, no, it's, a, it's not a, something that you're born with it or not. Okay? The passion for doing products, I think that you're born with it or not. But that product sense that we're talking about, this is actually a skill. This is something that you can learn. So, first of all, don't be under the wrong assumption that you just have it and you're a magician you're not i mean no one is so that that's you know the first step is to admit in the in the problem so this is something that you don't have and if you won't practice it you won't have you won't have it you can do an amazing job once and build this most amazing product and then just you know be arrogant in the next product and you'll completely fail uh, so that's the first step then and I'm not saying it because the company name is Bright Data, use data. So, and it doesn't, you don't need to be a data scientist. Okay? Using data, it's also, it's starting with Googling something. That, that's a use of data. It's a very basic one, but that's a first step. It's better than guessing. And that's what I'm getting at. So don't guess. When you guess, you're biased. You're biased towards your idea. You're in love in your idea. One of the 
hardest thing to do, but maybe the most required skill for a product manager is to be able to, fast, to, to kill ideas faster than creating new ones. And if you're guessing and not using data and not measuring, then you're biased, then you are in the risk to start and continue with a bad idea. Now, statistically, all of us, most of our ideas are completely stupid. <laughs> That's the reality. <laughs> so once you understand that also, no matter how smart you are and how, much, how many successes you had in the, future, in the past, you need to measure it, you need to test it, and then you need to follow the data. Don't follow your heart. You can start with the heart, with the gut, with the passion, but make sure that second day you're shifting completely towards data. So it sounds like there's, there's really kind of a maybe a subtle, but maybe big difference, I guess, between guesses and, and hypothesis. So you're saying if, you, if you're just making a guess about something, you're kind of just following a direction and going that way without gathering data. But like a hypothesis would be, okay, I think this might be the case. Let me collect some data, try to refute this. Like a, a little subtle difference there. That was how you view Completely it? agree. Completely agree. You have to start with a theory. By the way, you started with a theory, you validated the theory, then you immediately need to come up with another theory for the next step. So I completely agree. And thanks for sharpening this point. So your love of product, your, your, your passion for product, actually, this is how you landed your first role at, at Bright Data. The legend has it that it all happened because you left a, a review about the product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, but it wasn't just a review. It was a detailed professional <laughs> A specific review. I haven't said that I, I never went to university. I, I mean, I have, I just did one semester, but then I started to build products that actually brought value and, and, and revenues. So I dropped university after f- the first semester. And right after that, I also started another experiment. I, I won't even call it a business or initiative, just an experiment that eventually brought me to, to this place. So it was probably 2014 or 15. I had this passion one evening. I started to use a browser extension. I looked for reviews, like not from the browser store, but unbiased reviews on a third-party website and couldn't find one. So I spent a few hours because I couldn't go to sleep because I had this passion and just created an, a website that reviews browser extension. And it went pretty nice, actually. And after a few months, I reviewed an extension named Hola VPN. And this is an Israeli company. So I also found out CEO email and sent him a detailed review as a product guy. And this is what I did. And the day after, I think we met for like three or four straight hours talking product, talking how to build stuff, how to manage stuff. That DNA that you mentioned, talking a lot about that. We'll probably also talk about it here. And a few days after I sold all of the other companies I had <laughs> and joined the company. So the original name of Bright Data, it all started from that extension under the name Hall of VPN. So I started as a product manager in this back then small company that I really, really felt connected to their character of how to build stuff with actual value. Fast forward today, we're Bright Data, 300 plus employees, very successful and so on. So let's get into Bright Data, learn a little bit more about kind of what the company does. So, you know, the data from that we're talking about collecting from a surfboard, example of private data, data that, you know, my activity trackers, that private data, but your company specializes in making publicly available data accessible to the company. So it's kind of a basic question here, but how do you define publicly available data? Yeah, that's a great question. It's so basic, but so complicated to understand sometimes. So we really worked hard on making sure that it's easy to understand. So I'll just answer that and then I'll explain what we're doing. So if you can, as an individual, right, as our brief, just open your browser. And we're talking only about the internet. Open the browser, type any URL you want to type in the, the URL section. Click enter and see a content on that web page. That's public data. Okay. So if you as an individual can see it, it means that it's public. If you need, for example, to log in to a platform, that's debatable. That's probably not public. If it's a URL but that represents an API command, that's probably not public. Okay. So we're talking about the, the, the internet, the World Wide Web is probably the biggest database in the history of mankind. Today it has around 50 zettabytes. That's 50 with 21 
zeros after <laughs> the number. In less than four years then from now, 2025, it's going to be above 200 zettabytes, so 221 zeros. You can't even imagine the size of, of you know, right? So it's just growing, growing, growing. A huge portion of it is public information. Okay? So yeah, this number, huge number also includes your personal data that you talked about, your WhatsApp messages, your emails. I'm not talking about that. That's not related to what we're doing. But just think about the huge amount of data that is completely public and out there. And this is the industry and the areas that Bright Data is working on. It's okay. I think that it makes sense that I also explain briefly what we're doing. Yeah, please. So basically, we're building products that allow our customers to collect the public data from the web. Okay? Easy as that. Now... Someone who's not from the industry with us, but it's public data. So it's public. It's there. Why do you need tools to collect? And the short answer that although it, it, it's called public data and you can see it within your own eyes, it's actually not public because if you try to automate this viewing of data and taking a machine, a computer to see this data and to collect it, then it's becoming harder because you're actively being, being blocked. Even though it's public data, I'm, for example, talking about prices of product, why someone would block that. But that's the case. Just a sh very short analogy from the physical world, better understand that. What's the problem that we're solving? Let's imagine I have a grocery store and you have a grocery store. In the physical world, we're competing. We're on the same street. We're competing. I send my guy to your store one morning to check on the prices of the cucumbers. Because I have this massive stock of cucumbers, I have to, to sell everything. So I want to know your price so I can cut it by 10% and sell more. That's transparency that leads to competition, which is always a great thing for the consumer. I would go and buy it. If the quality is good, I'll just buy the cheaper cucumber. And then you have a security guy at the front that says, hey, aren't you working on that other store? So you're the only one who's not allowed in this store okay this doesn't make sense it's it, I, I even argue that it's illegal in some places to, to stop someone from entering a store but this is how the internet works today that's that's actually an absurd and this is how the internet works so it's not easy to collect public data from the web and this is what bright data allows the largest companies institutions and organizations in the world to do in large scales so i mean this it's different from like open data portal type of data, right? Like, for example, my city here, open data portal, I can go access it as much as I want. Like, you know, they might have some limitations, but fundamentally I can go scrape all the open data portals from my government. But this is, you're saying in, in commercial settings, like that example, I really like that. Like if you're a grocery Yeah, store, but you'll be surprised. You, you said something really interesting. Yeah. You Even you, when you try to set it, it's different. You say it might have a few limitations, right? Why? It's open data. It should be limitless. So that's actually not a different case. It's just a different use case. Okay. So the idea is that if public data is public, it should be public. It's a, you need to digest that a bit. So even if you want to go to a public data source that has limitations, it's not really public. It has limitations. Okay. Think about it. Data is almost everything today. Every company, organization, researcher, academic institution, everyone are getting data-based decisions. Why on earth would someone agree to have public data blocked? I mean, what, what good can come out from blocking this public data? Nothing. Okay? We don't even need to think what talented people can do with this data. We have amazing individuals, brains, and companies in the world that can do things that we will never imagine. But we're, we just have to make sure that they have access to this data. Now, so far, until a few years ago, until Bright Data and companies like Bright Data were around, this was something that only you know, the big tech companies were able to do. They had the resources to do it on their own. We make sure with our platforms, and it's all self-service self product, that everyone, if you're a one-man show or a small company or an enterprise, you will be able to access public data on the web, period. So that's kind of what you mean by transparency of data is that, okay, if it's available for anyone to go, for example, go to like an electronic store website, go look at all the prices and, you know, I could sit there manually and take all the prices down in an Excel sheet, then it shouldn't be different for somebody to just scrape the 
the, the website. So is that kind of what you mean by transparency there? Yeah. Um, think about the world without that transparency. You'll be blind as a business. You only do mistakes that will cost more for the consumer eventually. By the way, it doesn't mean that, you know, talking about transparent data and making public data actually public, it doesn't mean that you don't need to be cautious. It doesn't mean that you don't need to take ethical consideration. It doesn't mean that we don't need regulation. We need regulation. We want regulation. We regulate ourselves until the regulators will do that. And we, we push them to do that. It, it can live together. But yeah, what you said is exactly true. And just imagine a world that you have no idea what's going on. Okay. It's, imagine fighting COVID pandemic only basing on your own country data. Okay. All other countries are blocking you from their data. I'm not talking about personal data, of course, okay? not your name and if you're sick or not. I'm talking about statistical data. Why would someone do that? I mean, we all, it's clear that, you know, being blind, half blind will hurt your attempts to fight the pandemic, right? This is why open data, which is public data, not talking about private data, is so important. So just to kind of uh, understand and conceptualize some of the things that are blocking us from accessing you know, publicly available data, what are some of the practices that, that are being used that will prevent people from or companies from accessing this publicly available data? We're mostly talking about technological aspects. So you know, specific code that is trying to understand if the traffic that is entering the website, which is doing something that is completely fine, it's only reading the data, is a real human being with real intentions, for example, to buy a product, or in high chances is a computer. Okay? And that, that again, just to emphasize what we talked a minute ago, no one will argue that you know, having a thousand employees instead of 300 employees in Brighton, and all of them will have each of them will have a computer, so a thousand computers. They will get a task one day to collect all of the prices of this product or that flight from different locations because they're scattered around the world and create a, a Google Sheet for me because I need to get a decision as a CEO. That's fine, right? Just what we're basically doing, us, but the industry as, as a whole, is taking these thousand employees and thousand computers and merging it into a machine. That's more effective for everyone. It's even more effective for the website that holds the public information, okay? So technology is a good, so this computer that represents those thousand employees, a virtual employees goes in and collect the data. He will be, you can find some other counter products that are trying to block the access in, in technological manners. So is it is it primarily businesses that get this less transparent view of the web than consumers? Is it like a unique challenge that that the business faces? And I guess, you know, what are some some ways that bright data helps to overcome this? I know you touched on a little bit of that just right now, but kind of as a follow up there. You know what? I wish it was only a commercial thing, but it actually hurts non-commercial bodies from creating incredible positive value to the world. We recently, not that recently, actually, a few months ago, we initiated a separate organization called the Bright Initiate. This organization simply utilizes web data for good to create a positive impact on the world, whether it's through research or helping NGOs and nonprofits. It started off when we wanted to help researchers okay, with fighting the pandemic. I just uh, gave that example. And it just expanded beyond our expectations. So the researchers that wanted to get data that can support their efforts to fight this pandemic got, were blocked as if they are a commercial body. Today, this organization foster over, I think, above 120 organizations and more than 85 academic institutions, such as Princeton University, uh, Northeastern University, Virginia Tech, Oxford University, and more. So it's not a problem that you know, only the commercial industry, quote unquote, enjoys from. It's a problem for everyone. And it's an act, a real actual problem that we help to solve. We have so many researchers that did so many amazing things that wouldn't be able to do it without us. So just one example, if I may, uh, that I will never forget. HDI Labs is an organization that's focused on fighting sex trafficking. Okay. They use web data to reach online ads that provide an indication 
that there might be involvement of sex trafficking and then they do their job and they're able to you know find out these potential cases and inform the authorities now these guys save lives we it's not a guess to make you know we talk to them they actually save lives and uh, think about the case that they will be blocked from that public data we're not talking about dark web and things like that i'm talking about craigslist i'm talking about public data that is out there and you just need access to get it. so the services that bright data provides sounds like it's it's not geared just business to business can can you know individual consumers get access to tier services or or universities or is it primarily for b2b type of initiative that you guys uh, yeah no it's b2b okay. right so it doesn't really make sense it, you know it's, it's a SaaS company so it's all products api things like that i mean as an individual go ahead but uh, you can try it out but it's it's a b2b product yeah so this idea of alternative data i find this to be interesting can you kind of define alternative data for us and then how can alternative data help organizations make better decisions yeah sure and that's a very strong term right now very trendy but for a good reason so alternative data or alt data so this term refers to external data sources or non-traditional data sets such as internal data so that's the opposite so it's usually referred to when discussing the financial market or industry but obviously other sectors such as e-commerce and travel already use alternative data to great extent so what it means it means that as a company you're not just getting decisions based on your internal data or other traditional data for example if you're an e-commerce company so you have your own data your own traffic your own financial reports that you can get decisions on you have some third party data that you can get decisions on which are trivial for example i don't know the the changes in the united states gdp so things that can affect on on your decision making that's like traditional let's call it traditional data alternative data is basically everything that doesn't fall under this category so we recently conducted a survey looking at the use of alt data across the financial sector in the us and uk and found out that nearly a quarter of financial services who work for organizations uh, professionals who work organizations that collect alt data use it to support the work on a daily basis on a daily basis i think that one very very interesting specific use case that i can share i think that it will help the viewers and listeners to better understand what it means so one of our customers is a hedge fund coming from the the new york uh, funds sector and they were eager to understand if they should invest or not in a chemical company okay so they did all everything that they had to do so they checked that chemical company financials they checked other competitors to understand what's going on in the market that's the traditional things that you should check but what they did with us for example is they through our tools they collected all of the prices of the bleaches the bleach okay that you clean the floors with in the united in north america over a period of time because these bleaches contain some of the chemicals of that company and then they realized the trend okay that's like a very very good example of what alternative data means got it that's really fascinating i find that to be like really creative ways to to use data and the beauty is that that's like the tip of the iceberg but the beauty is that first of all we never able to think that this data will serve a hedge right the prices of bleach but what's even more nice is that the same data prices of bleach can serve another company for a completely different reason in use case which again i can't even think of but maybe someone will be able to use this alternative data for a completely different decision making process just people come to you and they want to use like the alternative data for some like sketchy or shady things that you're kind of like uh, iffy about like how do you guys handle situations like that great question great question so i encourage everyone to try and sign up and to get access to we we have a bunch of products but the core products that we, which will actually help you to obtain this data it requires a very very strict compliance procedure so we have to know we want to know so we decided that we have to know who you are as a customer and we have over 10,000 active customers okay who you are what you're going to do 
What's the use case? How are you going to use the data? Okay. We're also, I'm talking about the video call. We need to know who you are. We need to talk to you with every single customer. Okay. That, that's going to use the, the more advanced products, not for every, but most of the products. So that's one thing. It's also a lot about transparency. Visit brightdata.com. We have full sections saying what's allowed and what's not allowed. I'm not talking about TOS or a license agreement. Obviously, we have them, but that's like just, you know, you have it because you need to have it. I'm talking about lots of resources that we invest internally to make sure that externally it is clear what you can and cannot do. Okay. Just, you know, before you being a customer, becoming a customer, you should know that. And we make sure that you will know that. And you won't be able to do these things with us. We, we measure, I think the number is half a trillion metrics every, in, in real time. Every single moment, a, a huge portion of them is what we call compliance metrics. Okay? To make sure it's not just that you pass the, you know, the know your customer process and we trust you. We also make sure that you're doing what you said you're going to do. By the way, you can, you know, if you're a customer, maybe you, you created a bug in the code and then you're doing something that you shouldn't. It, it can also happen. It doesn't mean that you're a bad guy, but we, we want to monitor all of these things also ourselves. So we'll be able to you know, control what, what's going on on our network. So that's really like in a nutshell, the things that we're doing, but that's a great question because that's a, a real problem in the industry, what you just mentioned. Yeah, I think that's awesome that you guys have that thorough kind of screening process to you know, before even accepting customers. Uh, we talked a little bit about the, the financial industry. I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, what, what are some industries that you think are really going to start benefiting from this uh, large scale data collection and, and having this integrated into their businesses? I mean, given, given kind of the state of the world, there's how much more data has been generated because of, you know, COVID-19 at work from home than, than before. Like, are there any particular industries you see that might be able to capitalize on, on these trends? For sure. So again, the interesting part, the interesting thing in my eyes is that we were never able to imagine what will be the next industry to capitalize on web data or use web data. Okay. Never, not even once. Okay. <laughs> we are so, because we don't, if you're a bank, you know why you need the data for. Okay. I don't know. I know how to collect data. And this is happening over and over again. So we support dozens of different industries. Obviously, e-commerce, online travel, all of these industries, it's, it's obvious why they need data. But we see that everyone needs data. You don't even need to have a strong online presence. So we have some of the largest American banks as customers using us. Okay? It's not that, I mean, they weren't born into the, the, the internet. It's like 100, 200 years institutions with hundreds of thousands of employees. Yeah, today they have a dedicated IT team that needs data. Then they, they push it inside to different teams that needs to get decisions, to, to understand trends, that needs to check markets. They all need data. Okay? We have few very traditional, I would call it government offices, like economic office of a European country that understood that the citizens know more. <laughs> I mean, they get obsolete decisions on, on what to do you know, when, when they're trying to direct different sectors of the, of the country, why not learning what, from what's actually happening in real time in their country? So they need data. Everyone needs data. So I will be a bit humble and won't guess what will be the next big trend because I always wrong, but it's always, it's just happening. The, the trend is amazing. And it's not just due to COVID and all of the digitization. It just, you know, it shortened the, the period and made everything a lot faster. But it's, it's everywhere. Every company that wants to survive needs to complete their view of the world with external data. Yeah, I guess that pr predictions are hard, especially when they're about the future, right? <laughs> uh, I'm wondering if you've noticed any kind of shifts or trends, you know, major shifts or trends that are happening in data collection. And are these trends here to stay? Do you think these trends will be changing? I don't know. I'm asking to predict again, but I would love to get your viewpoint on this. No, for sure. So there is a very strong trend that it's a validated trend. It's happening. It's not something that I think that will happen in the future that it kind of refers to what I just um, talked about. So if in previous days, let's say one, two, three, five years before, to be able to collect data, you had to do some more complex integrations, uh, even with us, it wasn't always easy. Then 
you had to build this skill internally to be able to utilize this platform. Today, we see a trend that companies that are just shifting into the data world now just got this understanding that, oh, I have to know what's going on in order to succeed. They're not necessarily trying to build this skill internally. First of all, they try to see if something is already existing out there. If it's a good product that you can use, fine. If it's just buying the data without even collecting it yourself, even better. Uh, we, this makes everything more you know, accessible. And it also forces companies such as Bright Data to be a lot more user-friendly for non-tech savvy uh, potential customers that just need the data. They don't want to collect it. They don't want to hire skilled people to be able to do that. Just give them the data. And that's a very positive thing. It makes us better as, as a company, but it also makes the data even more accessible. So you, you don't even need to, sometimes you don't even need to sign up to a platform to get a data. And so you don't need a specific skill, which is good. It's like more, it's a democratization of the data. Appreciate that. I really got a good idea here of what the company does and, and the services you offer. So I encourage everyone to go check check out Bright Data. And, you know, you mentioned mostly B2B, but hey, you could probably do something for your personal projects. I mean, I'm sure you have uh, data available uh, for, for individuals who might want to do some personal projects. This would be a great resource to, to do that. Who knows? You can change the world with just a laptop, internet connection and some data, right? So Oh, it happened before so many times already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. What's uh, what's one of your? So you talked about one one initiative there um, with the HTI organization. Is there like another kind of favorite success story that you have that you'd like to share? We have a lot, but I always tend to th- to talk about the things that you know makes us even a bit emotional. <laughs> yeah, because these things you know stays with you. It's it's not a business thing anymore. It's just you know you, you know you're doing something good. So we had this organization in Israel still LM, which are uh, using our tools to scan huge amounts of data from social networks and forums in order to find bullying and abusive behaviors, especially with teenagers. Again, these guys saved lives. They literally saved lives and stopped people from taking their own lives. And again, just think of a world that they won't have access to this information, even though that it's there waiting for them. So uh, I have uh, like an endless amount of other examples, but these things, you know, are uh, the most important ones. Yeah, man, that's super, super powerful. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about the the bright data DNA. I thought, you know, I took a look at it and I was like, this looks like a pretty awesome place to work. I'm, I'm wondering, are you guys currently hiring? And if so, what kind of roles are, you know, if, if people who are tuning in on LinkedIn or YouTube or listening on the podcast, they're interested to learn more about the company, where can they go, go apply for these open roles? Sure. So first of all, I encourage everyone to read the bright data DNA. It's brightdata.com slash DNA. It was public since we started it. And you know, we you can find in many companies, their company culture. And this is basically what it is, but it's uh, you, you've seen it. It's so detailed because we're true believers in processes and data. So if we find out that we did something great, or if we find out that we did something very, very bad, we make sure to document it. So it's it won't be specific, uh, don't do... Uh, don't build this product, it will be something uh, more of a process. The way that you need to build such product is by doing one, two, three, four, five, so on. Make sure you don't do this and that. Now, it's an extremely detailed and long document. It's a breathing document. So a part of it, a major part of it is to you know make sure that you are always aware that maybe you're completely wrong. Under this assumption, this this document is being changed all the time because we're wrong sometimes and we need to change that. We're trying to be as obsessed as possible with this DNA because it's working really well for us. And when you're growing so fast, like we're growing uh, you know, in the number of employees globally, then you don't want a few companies inside the company. You want everyone to be the same. And it's fine if they can't. It's probably not the best fit for them. So at least they can read this document before they're joining and to be honest with themselves and you know say, yeah, I love it or ah, not really what I was looking for. So that's also important. Uh, we're growing all the time. We're hiring all the time. Engineers, product managers, 
salespeople, we're completely agnostic to where you are located, <laughs> regardless of COVID. This is how we always acted. So uh, we have people all around the world. The main office is here in Israel. We have another HQ in New York, but we literally have people scattered all around the world. I mean, it's, we love it. It's essential. And also, this is just how it turned up to be. So if you want to join, please ping us over LinkedIn. And we have some tests, some interviews. We, we really don't care where you are. I think that's awesome, guys. If you're, you know, for everybody listening and, and watching, go check out the Bright Data DNA. Um, we're going to dig into a couple of them right now because I found it to be so cool. I feel like the audience can greatly benefit from the way you guys think over there. The first thing I want to talk about is the importance of learning by doing. Talk to us about, about why this is an important part of Bright Data DNA. It, it gets back to what I said a few minutes ago that all of us, most of our ideas are just wrong. Most of our theories are just wrong. That's, you know, you have like, I don't know, a few ideas every day. Most of them are, are just bad. That's the reality. So we can spend like a bunch of time a week, I don't know, on this new amazing idea that we think we have and do market research and talk to people and read and, and, and plan and design and, and, and do all of these things just to release the product after uh, actually a week is fast. <laughs> we can invest a year, which is a lot in doing that. Release the product to find out that the most fundamental basic truth that most of our ideas are stupid was again true. <laughs> and we just spent a year on developing it. A better way to do that, and we always try to do it, it's hard. I'm not saying it's, it's always happening, but we strive to do that. It's to, to just go with the most basic theory, release it as fast as you can, even like the same day if possible. And we release tens, if not hundreds of new versions to all of our products every single day. So, and, and then the data, again, will show you what's happened, if the, the idea was good or bad. So this is learning by doing, okay? And it's even true for a new employee, okay? So you got this new position in the company, you just joined, or you've shifted from one position to another position. You can spend days with your colleagues and ask questions and read. And it's okay to do that also, but you have to start working. We like to take the person and throw it to the deepest water. We'll be patient. You no, know, with mistakes, it's completely fine. Just make sure to improve every time, every day. But you will always learn better, faster, and the end result of you know the product that you've built or the code that you've written or the sales call that you've done will be better if you just start. Hundred percent agree, man. You can always learn better by doing on the job. Absolutely. Uh, two other pieces I want to touch on. The first one was just this uh, framework for prioritizing tasks. I thought that was super awesome, and I think that like like anybody listening, watching, you check out this framework that Or's going to talk to us about in, in more detail. But I thought this was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So that's something that you just need to keep open on a tab when, when you're working for a few days. Because it's not intuitive, but then you see it's magic. It's just magic. So all of us knows the feeling that, oh my God, just another day has passed and I did it, did the important things. I'm just, you know, you know uh, just doing, chasing bugs and, and doing things that are just happening, urgent things. And it, it can be frustrating. The way that we're trying to prioritize tasks, and this is mostly true, I think, in the daily routine for product managers and engineers, but not necessarily. It can work for everyone, is to just start with the quick ones first. Okay, If it's under 10 minutes, do it now, even if the priority is low. Clean your table so you can work on the bigger things. If you have a bigger thing, break it down into smaller things. And then there you go. You just find out two additional smaller tasks to do. And then it's, a, it's something you need to practice. In the DNA, we actually have real examples of how to practice that. It's working. It's easy to, to stop doing it after a while because, you know, life, you know, you're just being stuck to, to other places. But it's, it's working and we need to remind ourselves that it's working and we are able to move faster this way. It's also very helpful to do that in specifically in Bright Data which is a company with zero meetings. That's another thing that you can find in the DNA. We don't have meetings in the company. Never, ever. Not in the past, not in the future. <laughs> so then you can actually clear some time to do the actual tasks that you need to be doing. And then everyone are moving faster. But you know, it, for, to make sure that it's work, you actually need to hire the right people that can you know, fill 
good with this DNA, with this working method. It's not for everyone. For us, it's working. Yeah, and I've dropped a link to it right there in the uh, LinkedIn comments for you guys to check out. I'll also put it right there in the show notes for you guys listening on the audience. I actually got a question coming in from LinkedIn here from uh, Kaylin on LinkedIn. Question is, uh, I guess, within the framework of government data. So how can the benefits of open data be communicated to new audiences so that government data can be combined with important privately owned data? Okay, that's a, that's a good question. It's a very broad one. I'll try to answer it shortly, but I have a lot to say about it generally. So we can also talk about it later. Usually, and this is from my experience of talking to relevant people in different governments, for example, the UK government were advising there on their NDS, National Data Strategy. So usually what I've learned is that governments has good, good intention. They actually want to be able to share the data that they are able to share. I'm not talking about private data, but maybe statistics and anonymized data, which is fun. In many cases, they just don't have an idea how to do it effectively. Once they realize how to do it effectively, two years have passed and it's not effective anymore because two years have passed. So it's difficult. It will always be difficult for any government to move as fast as a small commercial company, even if we're not talking about sensitive private information, even if we're talking about uh, the prices of something. So, So that's a challenge. One way to solve it, but it's not happening enough, is to to use experts from non-government corporations. For the example that I gave is what we're doing. We're not the only one. We're a part of a group of, I would say, a few tens of CEOs or just professionals that are helping the UK government to establish their national data strategy. So first of all, kudos for the minister and everyone that for getting a decision and being able to pass the decision that they need a national data strategy, which covers private data, public data, how to collect them, all of this is covered. And you know, it's even more you know, I have even more respect to, to the UK government for asking for help from us, from many others, but you no, know, just saying, listen, you, you've been doing it longer than us, you're faster, you know more about how it works, help us. And it was amazing to see how many companies with UK, uh, you know, relationship were owned by a UK private equity firm, just jump in, you know, with no reward, nothing, just wanting to help because understanding that if the government, in this specific case, the UK government will be able to do it the right way, it will benefit everyone, the whole society. I hope I answered. Absolutely loved it. I didn't know UK was rolling out a data strategy for the entire com- uh, country. I think that's amazing. That's that's a huge yes. leap forward. Do you know of any other countries that are kind of doing something similar to this, or are they kind of pioneers in that in that mindset and that thinking? There are a few, but the problem is that everyone are intuitively being drawn into private data. That's old news. <laughs> you have GDPR, you have CCPA, you have this great regulation. Maybe hard sometimes. But at least you you know what's good and what's wrong. And that's still what everyone are talking about. The UK government just took it to the next level. They realized that it's not just that. And that's pretty much covered already. Always room for improvement, but pretty much covered. And they established the, the NDS, National Data Strategy. I encourage everyone to, to read the white papers and everything. It's really mind-blowing to see that, you know, if if you have motivation as the government, you can make things happen. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But also asking for help and advice is something that you have to respect. So ne- next question here is kind of just off the top of my head, kind of weird and half-baked. Uh, you mentioned GDPR for, for private personal data. Would you think it would like would, would it ever happen? Would it ever be the case that we have something similar to GDPR, but for like, does that make sense, that question? Yeah, completely. So the answer is for sure. It, it, there's no chance in the world that we won't have regulation one day for what, what I was talking about the past hour, web data collection. We're asking for it. The industry is asking for it. Until it won't happen, we're doing it ourselves, at least for us. And we're sharing everything with the industry, uh, hoping that others will follow. But it will happen. And, you know, we saw it's like a cycle that you see, you can see in every new trending you know, industry and technology that it's obvious that it's here to stay like like 
web data. It will happen. It takes time. The most important thing is to that someone will you know, just say, we're going to regulate it. It will immediately make have an impact on the industry, a positive impact, even if nothing will happen for the next two years. <laughs> and we're really trying to make it happen. We're talking to everyone, everyone who's willing to, to listen. But for sure, it will happen. We'll do a, a last question before we jump into the random round. And the random round, I've got uh, just a few random questions, random question generator. And then definitely if you guys in the audience have questions for or around public data, collection of public data, or uh, anything that we've discussed over the last hour, we can take those in the random round as well. But here's the, the, the last question before we jump into to the random round. It is 100 years in the future. What do you want to be remembered for? The data guy. <laughs> or as bright data the, the data company i like that i like that or so, why why are we even talking about remember the company might even still going to be here data is just going to grow yeah, exactly <laughs> like data is not going anywhere man neither is data science or data engineering or data analysis like data is <laughs> they ain't going nowhere yeah. uh it is the new water it's everywhere and consumable by all you can't drink oil. Like I've never tried to drink oil, but uh. exactly. <laughs> Don't try. <laughs> yeah. So first question coming out the random round here, kind of a fun one. When do you think the first video to hit 1 trillion views on YouTube will happen? And what will that video be about? Oh, wow. So let me answer what this video is going to be about the time frame. I'm not sure, but I have two little ones. And I'm completely positive that the first video on YouTube that will hit, what do you say, one trillion views? One trillion, yeah. Is going to be Baby Shark. <laughs> My kids are responsible probably for two billion of these trillion views. <laughs> so, uh, I've got a, uh, he's about 14, 15 months old right now, my first son, and I haven't introduced him to Baby Shark yet. I've been like deliberately staying away from him. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> So, uh, I just mentioned it right now, and I know that I'm going to have like the next two days just stuck. having it stuck in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite question to ask a candidate during a job interview and why? Ah, great one. So actually, it's not a question. It's a request. And it's always show me the product you've been working on. That's that It covers everything. Obviously, it covers product managers. And then it's a very, usually it's becoming a very deep, intelligent discussion, which I also enjoy, but it also covers sales. So, you know, if you, you've been a salesman and you're going to, you want to join the company as a salesman, you still worked on a product. You just, you didn't build it, you sold it. So we need to understand what it does, right? And you need to be able to explain it to me. And if you're an engineer, you wrote the code of the product. So we can talk a bit about the code and why you choose to write this way and that way where you had issues. So it always starts with show me a product that you worked on. I love that because you don't need to prepare for that. If you've done the, the project, you've done the work, you exactly. can talk about it at great length. And you can and, and it's not a tricky question. I mean, no. yeah. you should know your stuff. And if not, it's, it's a great interview. I know that you don't yeah. know your stuff, but it's also yeah. positive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So another follow-up question coming in from the audience here around uh, that from the same person. Since there are thousands of different organizations involved in the data collection process, and most of it is manually entered, the quality and consistency of this data is poor. What are your thoughts? How can we improve this? First of all, exactly. And the quality is poor because it's manual. If you build a good machine, it will do the same amazing job over and over and over and over again. And then you'll have amazing quality. First of all, I, I agree. I'm happy to say that we are helping to solve the quality issue, although only in the aspect of collecting the raw data. So we can make sure that uh, the customer organization will get validated, qualified, structured data that he can then use. There are many, many, many things that can go wrong after. So, you know, you need to have the data science to prepare the data and just preparing it for your other platforms that needs to use it. Then you need to be able to you know, put it in the other platform that visualized it or take the inside out of it and make sure that you even ask the right question. So there are so many things that can go wrong, but this is why the opportunity to join the data industry is even more interesting. There's so many problems to solve there. So uh, I completely agree. And I think that we're doing a fairly good job in solving the data collection process also in terms of quality and validation of the data. 
you see kind of, I mean, because you, you can never really tell what jobs the future may hold, right? But especially as we move towards this, uh, this era where data is just becoming ubiquitous and it's everywhere now, do you see companies having to hire people whose primary role is about the curation and acquisition of data, like a role specific to, to that type of work? Yes, it's happening already. Usually, at least from what we're seeing, it's already skilled people. It's not a junior position because, you know, sometimes it's better to have no data than to have bad data. So you should invest in the right employee with the right experience because, you know, if you just bring someone junior to do the data acquisition for you, you're risking to get wrong decisions for the company, which can be devastating. So it's already happening. But generally speaking, every position with data in the title is just booming right now. Another question coming in from the audience here. I think this person might have taken a look at your uh, company DNA. They want to know strategic thinking, strategic planning, strategic learning. Which is most important for you and why? Actually, I'm not sure they've looked in the DNA because we yeah. try to avoid strategic things for the same reason that, no, we need to be a bit humble. We're not going to know, we, we don't know how the future is going to look like. So we are always, the, the, that part in the DNA is actually the complete opposite. It talks about moving in the smallest iterations possible. First of all, you move fast. Second is you, you make sure that you're always doing the right thing because it's a lot easier to try and think what tomorrow will bring than what will happen in the next five years in the fintech industry and so on. So we need to do both, but we need to invest at least here. We are investing a lot more in tomorrow, not in the next five years. So we're not strong in strategic planning because this is how we think that we, it's better for us to work. It also makes it easier to build the right product for the same reason. I'm just trying to solve today's problems and then make it a bit better because I, we're already experienced. So we can kind of guess what's going to happen in the future. But like 80% of what we're doing should solve today's problem. We want to bring the value to our customers today. Yeah, I like that a lot. Just uh, continue on some random round. We could take another couple of questions or if you don't mind, if they come in through the audience. Um, sure. So if you guys do have questions coming in from the audience, do let us know. But we'll continue on with the random round here. One of my favorite questions to ask, how I get my library fully stocked. What are you currently reading? I'm completely biased right now because I'm reading my sister's second book. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, I just started. I finished her first book a while ago and just started the second one. So I can't even uh, share enough uh, insights on it. But my sister is a writer. So uh, it's, a, it's in Hebrew, obviously. Oh. It wasn't translated, but I enjoyed it a lot. Generally speaking, I, I kind of moved podcast a year ago <laughs> so reading doing less of a reading so uh your sister fiction writer non-fiction writer i would call it i mean it's a no roman but i, I will call it like more of a nostalgic writer okay. so you just read the books and you need to stop because it takes you back in time and you just you know imagine things that happens to you in your own life which is great <laughs> what song do you currently have on repeat apart from baby shark oh yeah so my, my bigger son just learned how to use my Spotify. So that's, ah. again, a tricky question. It's probably <laughs> some kid's song. Probably the last one, again, is not a song. It's a podcast. I'm binging a podcast right now. And uh, it like sounds very boring, but that's currently what I wanted to hear. So it's about taxonomy of plants and animals. That's interesting. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's really fascinating. That's, a, that's cool, man. Like it, It's always good to have interests that are completely unrelated to i mean no i don't think taxonomy would be unrelated to data i mean it, it is definitely. oh it is i just took it to yeah. biology this time yeah <laughs> that's interesting let's go ahead and let's open up my favorite part is the random question generator this will be a lot of fun here uh, so let's see what comes now up you got here. me they're, they're fun questions they're fun questions <laughs> if you had to change your name what would you change it to oh that was my name um something else with light in it i love it <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Punjabi version of or, like in, in, in my language, would be Kiran. Oh, yeah. Kiran, K-I-R-A-N, Kiran. That'd be light uh, in Punjabi. Uh, done deal. Done deal. <laughs> like, it's mine. <laughs> What's the story behind one of your scars? So 100% of my scars, and I have a few, uh, are from surfing. <laughs> easy. Just easy. But uh, basically, it's every, every time it's the same thing. So falling not in the right way. Hitting a surfboard, hitting another surfboard, hitting a rock, something like that. Oh. I have a bunch. 
What issue will you always speak your mind about? Oh, always. That's a hard one. I want to say efficiency. I'm obsessed with that. You can find a lot of it in our DNA. This is why I like the company so much when I joined. It, I, I can be annoying sometimes, <laughs> just trying to annoy people how they can do something more efficient. Sometimes I'm completely wrong. <laughs> Let's do one more from here. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ah, getting back to it over and over again. Most of your ideas <laughs> are stupid, which means that you just need to try and execute them faster. So it's a win-win. <laughs> that means it's true. I've, I've come up with really horrible ideas. Yeah, so just yeah. try to execute them faster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a win-win. You'll win if they'll succeed and you'll fail faster if they won't. So it's a win-win. Or how can people connect with you and where can they find you online? Obviously, LinkedIn, always available, even if it takes me a day or two. Uh, also over LinkedIn, just my name. Twitter, it's at Orlench, O-R-L-E-N-C-H. And email, or O-R, at brightdata.com. Those of you tuning in on LinkedIn, I've tagged Or in the comments. Go and uh, give him a follow. Or thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come on to the show today. I really appreciate having you here. Thanks for having me. It was truly a pleasure. My friends, remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone. <laughs>